How's it going, Chet? I'm doing all right. You know, just uh, over here actually making money and, you know, not being poor. Highly recommend, by the way. It's great. Yeah, that shit's tight. Yeah. I couldn't imagine it not being pretty cool. Especially when you've been poor. Yes. Yes. I can definitely attest to that. That shit sucks. I, I remember getting my first job out of college. And I, I didn't really know what to do with myself because, like, I simultaneously had more free time and yet also less because I had such a, a set schedule. So it's like I always have these two days off and I also ha- now have the funds to, like, enjoy this time off. And I, I don't know what to do with myself now. It's just there's so much freedom. Life is wonderful. And it's, it's a pretty similar feeling now. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty good. How you been? That's good to hear. I'm, I've been all right. Living, learning. A friend of mine uh, came out to visit from San Francisco over the weekend, and I took him binge drinking to all of my usual haunts that I take people drinking to. Excellent. Did you take him into the realm of the 52 realms? Yeah, I did. Yeah. I did. <laughs> that was actually our last stop. He was so drunk that <laughs> he could hardly hold himself up on our way out of oh the bar. Oh, my God. Uh, he's... He I, he did it without thinking about it, but I forgot to tell him not to try to keep up with me because I do drink a lot, and he was right. Yeah, yeah, I've tried that, and it's a mistake. It is a fucking mistake because <laughs> like, can't be classified as anything other than that. I I'm a pretty pretty accomplished drinker, you know. I can definitely hold my own, but. The two biggest mistakes I've made when drinking are trying to keep up with someone who's over 100 pounds over me and drinking when I'm not in a physical state to do so, i.e. having taken other substances or being on an empty stomach. Like, those are the two cardinal sins that I have committed multiple times and, um, I would say never again, but probably sometime again. As it always goes. Yep. <laughs> pretty pretty common. I always say to myself, oh, I'm never drinking again. Never going to happen again. Oh, my God. I'm so hungover. And then the next day I'm cracking open a beer that's next to my bed. It's been like <laughs> it's too convenient sitting there all night. Yeah. Oh, man. I need some of that hair of the dog. Oh, really, really feeling this one. <laughs> hey, you know what helped this hangover? <laughs> this shit right here. Not one of my favorite moments. Welcome to Real Nerd Hours, your favorite slice of life podcast, ostensibly about nerd shit. This week we've got Mario Maker, Godzilla King of Monsters, uh, Swamp Thing, Episode 1 of Season 1, and other things. Huzzah, let's start with, uh, let's start with that Death Stranding talk. Okay, yeah, we, we could have covered this last week, I think, but we didn't. Mostly because I don't really give a shit about Death Stranding. And why don't I give a shit about Death Stranding? It's such a big game. There's been so much news about it lately. You know why I don't give a shit about Death Stranding? Because everything's been telling me that I'm supposed to care about this game. But I don't know what the game is. Okay, granted, they did show gameplay this time. They talked about what the game actually entails. But we heard about this game like six years ago for the first time, and it's we've just had the little little carrot dangling on a stick for you know my entire lifetime, and only now do we get some gameplay. I I just don't care anymore. I'm sure the game will be fine. It's probably more Kojima bullshit, as I'm sure we've come to expect. But I don't. I'm not the type that just holds on to hope for that long when I'm given nothing, you know, I tell me what, what you're giving me. You can't just put up a logo and say Kojima productions and expect me to, to, you know, get my dick hard. 
you can't just show Norman Reedus with carrying a baby <laughs> and say game of the year. No, you got to tell me what you're getting at least a little bit. Like with a book, you don't really need to know what's going on. You you get a little glimpse of it, you get a little blurb in the back, and it's like, oh yeah, I'll check this out. And for whatever reason, we accept that. Uh, with with a movie, you can watch one trailer. Or, you know, as I've come to do with the Marvel Universe, I don't even bother with the trailers because I know I'm just going to see it anyway. But with video games, I feel like I actually need to know what I'm getting because it's, it's so much more invested of an experience. Like, with a movie, you watch it once, you like it or you don't, and that's it. That's two hours of your life gone that you may be happy about, you may not. But with a game, you have to make a conscious decision to pick it back up multiple times. Sometimes it's multiple hours in one sitting. Sometimes it's several hours in one sitting. So I'm not just going to spend 60 bucks on something just because of whose name is attached to it. So show us something within the first year, please. I hate that. So yeah, I'm not really talking about Death Stranding itself. I'm talking about the practices behind Death Stranding and why I don't give a shit about Death Stranding anymore. That's all completely fair. It's I don't like the hype machine that surrounds product releases anymore or even most media. It's really shitty to see a teaser trailer for something come out a full calendar year before something is released. And then you get the first trailer nine months before. Then you get the second trailer six months before. And then you get the final trailer the week before or however the order works out. I know there's not like a formula written in stone or anything for it, but I think it's one of the worst things ever, especially teaser trailers for things that don't need teaser trailers like music videos don't need teaser trailers fuck out of here there it's not an event stop it with press outlets being less and less in demand like gaming news sites for the longest time were just mouthpieces for press releases which makes sense because there's not really in-depth journalism to write about in gaming or really any kind of media right yeah it's i feel like the whole thing has become very perverted uh from what i mean basically any online journalism because it's all about the clicks you know even ad revenue is barely a thing these days just because of uh all the ad blocks and all that which of course then it's like oh well if you can't we see you running an ad blocker we get that so why don't you why don't you pay for the subscription to the Guardian, to the Atlantic? Anyway, Death Stranding, to just talk about the game for a second, I am not impressed. I'm not impressed. It looks cool, but cool looks only go so far. I don't give a shit about Kojima's projects, to be honest with you. I think he's one of the most overrated creators, artists, whatever the fuck you want to call him. I think he's one of the most overrated one of those that's ever existed, period. His games are basically just anime, and for some reason, this anime seems to hit off with people. It's not that tight. Like, it's it, it's just anime. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of very anime themes into uh, Metal Gear. I feel like the only reason why Metal Gear as a series is so celebrated is that it's perfectly competent. Like it, you know, I know you don't like the, the story and all that because it does get very convoluted, but you know, the gameplay is tight and it is completely competent and it does do different shit. And there's a lot of like little bits of effort put in that you don't really get out of a lot of other things. So, I mean, Kojima clearly loves his product and I think that's just it. People pick up on that and enjoy it. Plus, if loving a product could make you a lot of money, I love every product that I've ever released. Now fucking pay me. <laughs> right. But I mean, like, it's a, a kind of care that you don't see in other in other games and other media, especially like as well also you know there weren't a whole lot of shooters that relied on stealth i mean in that sense it's pretty different just off the jump but 
it, it continued a uh, a cohesive story in unexpected ways. Not necessarily the best cohesive story, but it's a cohesive story. And you don't get that out of shooters. And you also don't get a whole lot of shooters that are made by Japanese developers. And there's a lot of appeal in the West with this anime-ass game. Like, it's a lot of little things that just add up that we don't really get out of many other games. So he's heralded as this hero. I like the series. I don't love the series. I... Yeah, I don't think Kojima is a genius, but I I get it, I guess. <laughs> People throw around the title of genius too easily. Words mean things and should have an impact. Not everybody who made a thing you like is a fucking genius. What Kojima is good at, from what I can discern from his dumbass games, is that he's good at putting together a setting. He, he basically made an anime video game that's military-themed. It's a military-themed anime with people with dumb powers and shit that just doesn't make sense. And I don't know why people flock to it. It doesn't have like the weird, bright color palette that most anime has, so I'm sure that has something to do with it. But it's none of his work speaks to me in a way where I'm like, oh, this is actually really great. Metal Gear is the best game ever. Like in the same way, I I think people look at it in the same way that they look at something like Star Wars mm. where they interacted with it at a young age, so they thought it was really dope. The only problem is with Star Wars, George Lucas fucked it up when they were old enough to remember, oh, he fucked this up. These weren't any good. So they don't revere George Lucas in the same way. Yeah, yeah, I feel you. Yeah, George Lucas. There was a lot of people wanted to call him a genius for a while, but oh, oh, no. And, like, genius is something, I don't know, maybe maybe I just don't fuck with the time. Like, you can't, I don't think anybody, I, I don't know, I, it's difficult for me to even say, like, I think anybody's a genius. People say that Kanye West is a genius. I'm like, no, he's a good producer, though. Like, he's good at, he's, he's excellent at what he does, but he's not a genius. He took all these styles that were already popular and like mashed them together in a way that made a great sound. Yeah. And I also don't really think that what he did was like, he did it better than a lot of people, but Kanye did a lot of what Dr. Dre was doing in the nineties. Just he did a lot a of what way. a lot of other producers were already yeah, doing yeah. at other times. Like if you listen to Mad Lib, if you listen to Jake Dilla, if you listen to Dre, like anybody except for Scott Storch, basically, <laughs> Kanye was like biting their style a little bit. He was good at like taking styles and like mashing them together, mashing them together, and making like a coherent vision with them, which is like cool. He's not a good rapper, but he's great at producing. But calling him a genius is like. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Like I would probably there's only a few people that I would call genius and like I know he's been canceled to some degree, but Michael Jackson was a fucking genius. Like his music, I don't know how the fu- well, he did it with teams of people. Yeah. So I guess he wasn't really a genius. Quincy Jones the was the genius. People. Yeah, Quincy Quincy Jones is on some other shit, man. I'd put Herbie Hancock on that level too. Yeah, dog. Like these are people who who sculpted music like Quincy Jones made music for a while. Yeah. Like he was in control of pop. Like you Quincy Jones had his hands in so many pies for so fucking long. He, he just knew what people liked and he knew what music should sound like what I call Quincy Jones a genius. Probably. I probably would like, but that doesn't, I don't think, uh, maybe maybe this is some hater shit. Maybe this is my weird opinion. Hey. But I don't think you can call like most artists genius. Like I don't think you can call somebody like Basquiat a uh, genius. You can't call Andy Warhol a genius. They're artists for sure, but they didn't have they it, they impacted things definitely. Like in the same way that um like Kanye did for music. You can definitely say that they've had great impacts in their fields, but like it's difficult for me to be like, yo, these people are geniuses. Yeah. That doesn't hit for me. It's really hard to define 
a genius and like we can only really do it in subjective mediums anyway which makes it extra hard but like it's so up to your subjective opinion like i feel like andy warhol is mad overrated but that's only because like looking back a lot of his stuff was technically very simple he just was a i would say he was a genius at marketing and I don't know why or how this happened, but most of the art that became appreciated, at least in the U.S., wasn't any style other than, like, pop art. Or what's what's Andy Warhol's style called specifically? Is it modern art or pop art? That's pop art. Okay, so it's that kind of stuff. You don't see Banksy murals uh, fucking doing abstract crazy shit. It's all pop art. It's real. It's not necessarily realism, but it's not abstract. It's not cubism. It's none of that shit. It's just basically a soup can on the side of a building. And people love that shit. And that's kind of the reason why Mr. Brainwash got so popular. Because he... He was like the distillation of so many different pop styles. It's uh, it's just a matter of uh, how you present yourself, how you market yourself. Like, there's a lot of online artists now, you know, like Instagram peoples and Twitter folk that are very popular and decidedly mediocre, like. There is nothing about them that's extraordinary. Their their technical ability, middling at best. Their artistic vision, garbage. Their originality, non-existent. But their popularity, off the charts. And it's a different kind of work, you know? You can be a fantastic artist, but if no one sees your stuff, no one will know. So Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, I, I, I can't help but hate. But also, that's a real thing. And, you know, if you're an artist looking for recognition, that's what you got to do. You got to be recognized. And if the technical skill is what gets you there, cool. If your carpet bomb methods of marketing is what gets you there, fine. You know, everyone's got to make their dollars somehow. I got to keep it funky with you. Uh, When I see somebody's art and it's not original work, I automatically discount their work. Unless if it's somebody who's been paid to do it. Somebody like Alex Ross, who has the, for whatever reason, I don't know how he did this, but I think he's got the licensing to be able to produce art of Marvel and DC characters. And his shit is actually really sick. And it's uh, very, he leans heavily on realism. And a lot of that stuff is really cool. But if somebody's drawing like, Star Wars art, even if it's like an original character, it's like, I don't respect this dog. Like, why are you leaning on somebody else's IP? Why don't you just make your own shit? Because that's what gets the clicks. But there there comes a point where you can cross a threshold. We have a uh, mutual friend. uh, I guess we'll just call her Crystal Faye because that's her art name. Um, She's done a bunch of fan arts and you know we'll sell stuff at um at conventions and artist alleys and all that and she's pretty popular on on the internets but i was talking with her about her stuff and like she wants to you know continue doing commissioned works and fan arts and stuff just because you know it's stuff that she likes but she wants to open a patreon that's just original art and like I, I asked her, you know, is that is that viable? Is that really something that you can do? And basically, yeah, the most, uh, the, the highest earning artists on Patreon are only doing original stuff because you can go anywhere for Star Wars fan art, for Mass Effect fan art, for, you know, whatever. But when you have a name that's associated with just doing dope shit because you're dope, and not just because you're biting off someone else's IP. People respect that. Not just fans of whatever content, you know? I uh, I saw the movie Always Be My Maybe this week. That's a, uh, a Netflix original that just came out that Nikki had a, a hand in, in, in doing stuff for. So congrats to her. She did some of the other uh, CG work on that. But more to the point was that it was a very Asian movie. Asian written and directed and produced and all that and starred 
but it was also a romantic comedy. And I didn't realize until someone brought this up, but romantic comedies don't really exist anymore. Not in the, not in the traditional sense, I guess. Like, what was the last, what was the last rom-com that did pretty well in the theaters? Like, just off top, what can you think of? Well, I'm the wrong person for that question. Well, sure, but, I mean, I'm sure you can name one from, from your, from your formative years. I think the last one that I remember was something with Richard Gere. He's got a weird head. <laughs> he's got a lot of And that's what I remember. <laughs> yeah, he's got a fucking noggin on him. I don't, I honestly, I, I couldn't tell you. Those are the last movies that, uh, oh, Crazy Rich Asians maybe is, uh, is the last one in earnest. I don't even know if I call it a rom-com, honestly, because it was barely even about the romance. What was it about? Just that dude being ridiculously rich? Pretty and people much. fawning over him? Did I, did I yeah, talk about that movie on here? So let me go off about Crazy Rich Asians for a little bit, because that movie, you know, obviously came out to a lot of fanfare due to the entirely Asian cast, and I'm assuming there was a good portion of people behind the cameras that were also of Asian descent. And that's great. Not a lot of, not a lot of representation in Hollywood to this day, especially among Asian men as romantic leads. That's just not a thing. You know, the only, the only roles that Asian men get are scientists, I guess. I don't know. Hardly even that, but, um, crazy rich Asians obviously did a lot to, uh, make sure that, yeah, we're raising the fuck out here. But I had several issues with that movie. Let's start with the uh, the representation, since that's what we we're talking about first. Um, that whole movie took place, well, not the whole thing, but the majority of the movie took place in Singapore. If you've ever seen people from or around Singapore, they're pretty fucking brown. It's a majority Muslim country, I think. And if not majority, close to it. Oh, you're saying in terms of the representation, it didn't come across that people from Singapore are brown and also Muslim. Correct. Because the entire cast, everyone that we see is all of Chinese descent. And they do cover that like, oh, yeah, they're Chinese. They came to Singapore. They developed the country, which is real. But we only see like four brown Asians throughout the whole movie. Everyone else is Korean, Chinese, Japanese. I'm sure there's some Vietnamese people in there as well, but they're lighter skinned Vietnamese. So they pass as Chinese. And if you're going to make the movie take place in a brown Asian country and you're, you're celebrating that you have such a diverse cast, (laughs) why aren't you showing your brown Asians? You're in their home. You're in their country. (laughs) So it just felt super disingenuous to me on that regard. But then the movie itself was just super middling to me. It was a solid meh the whole way through. Mostly because the main characters, the two people that we're supposed to care about, were super uninteresting. The basic idea is that this uh, woman is a professor at NYU, and she's super smart, youngest professor, tenured, whatever, whatever. And then she meets this dude who's um, stupid rich. I don't, I don't think they even cover how they met, but the dude, stupid rich Asian, stupid rich, and she doesn't know that he's as rich as he is. She knows he's wealthy, but he does. She doesn't understand like the the depth of his wealth, and. Uh, so he, she's joining him as he goes to his sister's or brother's wedding ceremony. And, uh, you know, it's this big old thing and it's effectively royalty getting married to each other, yada, yada. But of course, he's perfect. He is completely perfect. He has no flaws in this movie. Like the biggest flaw that he has is that other members of his family might not accept her, but he does. And he defends her the whole time. He does nothing wrong the whole time. And I, that is just lazy, terrible garbage writing. Okay. That's, that's the first couple. That's the main couple. But then one of his cousins or whoever, one of the other rich family members has a much more interesting relationship. 
it's uh, the woman is the rich one. And she's married to this to this ex-military guy who's now doing a tech startup. And, you know, he's trying to, to make it on his own without, like, clinging to her family name. And he's a self-made man and all that. And they've been married. But she is so much richer than he is that it makes him uncomfortable. So she has to, like, hide when she goes out on shopping sprees. And then he ends up cheating on her. And she finds out about this and she doesn't blow up at him because she wants to maintain a good image within the family. Cause she only finds out like while all the festivities are happening and they get into this big fight where he's like, you're so concerned about your status. You're not even going to, to fight me about this. Like I just cheated on you and you don't even care because you care about like how we're perceived so much. And it was, it was an interesting much more conflicted sort of dynamic that never gets talked about again, really. Like we, we see a little bit and we mostly see it from the, the female cousin side of you, the one who gets cheated on. But I would have loved to see that story while I don't give a shit about these other two. Like, okay, it's a fun fish out of water story, I guess. But like, there's no romance here. You're already perfectly in love. Like, What's what's the conflict here? So, wholly mediocre. Uh, Fair enough. And back to you'll always be my maybe. Always be my maybe. Much more interesting uh, sort of dynamic in the rom-com sense. Um, I give the general recommendation. It was fun. It was romantic. It was comedy. And we don't get a whole lot of romantic comedy these days. And I'm not really like... I'm not into the genre, but there's a few gems that I actually really enjoy. So as long as you can reach that standard, I'm cool. This one, I'll give it, you know, seven uh, crazy, stupid loves out of 10, which is, is a cop out. I'll give it eight. I'll give it eight crazy, stupid loves out of 10. <laughs> I think romantic comedies are bad. And I think I'm starting to come like I've been having, I don't know what the fuck is happening to me, but I'm starting to come around on my like whole, like, I'm not trying to fuck with your shit. If it's wholly based on representation, like if your idea of a good movie is like that, it's got representation in it. I'm not trying to hear it. I don't want to watch it. Oh no, no, no. Like, I mean, there's been, there've been several talks about that idea kind of from both sides. And yeah, no, nah, if, if your only selling point on a movie is that, oh, look, we've got all these checkboxes checked. That's probably a bad movie, to be honest. Yeah. You, you've got to have something else going for you. Tell us about uh, some monster representation. Speaking of movies that don't have much going for them, <laughs> I saw Godzilla, King of Monsters. Yeah. Um off rip if you're expecting anything other than monsters fighting don't go watch this movie this movie was exactly what i wanted to see and i got exactly what i wanted it was fucking great dude i i really enjoyed it i there's a it's the story in there is uh so basically there's like this eco-terrorism group after godzilla is released and that's something that i missed from the 90s for real just eco-terrorism i watched a lot of captain planet eco-terrorism is a really good way to like shirk responsibility off of countries <laughs> where and like then you don't have to make all the terrorists brown you could just make them white people and people will automatically understand oh they're doing it for the environment this must be a good thing <laughs> Right, and it's it's the good kind of lazy shorthand yep. when you make eco terrorists white people. <laughs> um, I think the movie the movie has a story. So the eco terrorists uh, want to control Godzilla, and apparently there are other titans that are in the world. There are seventeen titans total that were found by. The, oh God, Monarch is the organization. Monarch is this clandestine organization that's under threat of being taken over by the military or having their control taken away uh, from by the U.S. government or whatever. And in effect, what's been happening is like 
since the years that have passed since the last uh, Godzilla movie in 2014, they've been going around the world finding these different Titans. And there's a doctor and his wife who have figured out a way to control the Titans or how to pacify them more specifically. You can, well, I guess control them is a better way. There's a way to make them really mad or you can just make them like be chill. And that's basically it for the story. The eco-terrorists come in, kidnap the doctor's wife and the daughter as well. There was a little stuff in there, like some of the reviews that have come out have said things like, oh, I wish there was more of a human story here. And (laughs) I don't think I disagree with that only because what they were doing with the people was so fucking interesting. I was just like, yo, how the fuck are you going to put this in here and have this just be a monster movie fighting? You could have just made this any kind of fucking story. You could have made the eco-terrorists just eco-terrorists and like made them like granola-eating weird vegans who are ex-military or whatever. But they actually did some really cool shit with that story. The characters, of course, there are the stereotyped characters. All the people that are in the military are basically tropes. It doesn't matter. They don't they don't matter. They're not fun. They're not like a weird ragtag group. But, you know, watch the movie. I fucking loved it. All right. I loved it a lot. It's funny. There was um Oh, the, the early response from critics and stuff, even like the ones who were in it for the monsters were like, yeah, this kind of doesn't do anything. But then like three days deep on Twitter, everyone's like, oh, my God, this movie is amazing. <laughs> so, yeah, fuck the critics. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what the fuck is up with critics. I don't. This is the problem with media as a whole. I mean, media coverage or reviews as a whole. I don't know that there's like that. There are that many unique voices in media because the major outlets mostly have like shit on this movie for just being a monster movie. The movie, of course it's fucking mostly CG, but the effects are done really well and everything looks really good. They didn't half ass it. Well, all right. I don't, I don't know why, but what I the reason why I bring up the media is I feel like people just echo each other's sentiments when they're feeling fucking lazy. Like there, I'm sure there are people who went and reviewed this movie who didn't actually want to see this movie, so they talked to their friends who are also movie reviewers about it, and then they all came to like a similar uh, opinion and like varied it a little bit, so the teacher didn't know they were cheating. Yeah, yeah, I copied my homework, but uh, don't make it look like we were cheating. Yeah, you know that. I've rephrased some spark notes before. It's same shit, different day. Absolutely. But yeah, I don't know. I, not to sound like super conspiratorial about it, but fucking over it. I mean, I, I think that one thing that's forgotten with a lot of movie critiques and movie critics is that, you know, not, not everything is made for everyone. And it takes a certain kind of personality to become a movie critic in the first place. Like your weird uncle who's only into Schwarzenegger and Stallone isn't going to become a movie critic. He's just not interested in other stuff. So if someone is interested in, you know, the, the artisanship of filmmaking, then, you know, they're not going to enjoy something like the Meg, which I heard was just awful anyway. So no one enjoyed the Meg, but you know, that was that was one thing that actually set um, Ebert apart from uh, other people was that, you know, he would give something five stars, even if he didn't like it. If it was just the people who are going to want to see this movie are going to really enjoy this. And I, I don't know. I don't know if it's people just being too pretentious and thinking that like, oh, this is garbage. No one should enjoy this. Or if it's, you know, they just don't get it. It's I don't know. But, you know, you should find critics or friends whose taste you trust, because there are some people who they can they can eloquently spin any story or any media into something that sounds like it would be great. But I know they have garbage taste that is the exact opposite of mine. So whatever they recommend, I will not watch. 
I don't look at reviews to find somebody that I agree with. I look at reviews to be entertained. And sometimes there are perspectives within reviews that I agree with or that bring new ideas to the forefront of my mind. Ultimately, I'm not there to have somebody's opinion in my face. Like, I don't fucking care really what you think. I'm just there because opinion pieces can make for some very entertaining writing, especially if people are like really fucking mean about what they think. And that's kind of what drew me to red letter media to a large extent, because they were very, they weren't nice about their opinions and they had well thought out opinions, but Ultimately, what I discovered is, like, those guys just don't like shit. (laughs) (laughs) Like, they don't like anything. Cynic game, what up? Yeah, it's, like, the cynicism is on 10 for their shit. And I'm pretty sure, I'm confident in saying that there's very few things that they like. And, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I think maybe a few of the other people the side people who show up on red letter media are more optimistic than the regulars, but like Jay, Mike and Rich are all very cynical. And it's after a certain point, it's just like, well, I don't want to watch your reviews anymore because those are dumb. Let me just watch you shit on this, uh, this movie from like 1993 that was recorded straight to VHS or whatever. Yeah. Anyway, Godzilla is a movie worth watching because it has Rodan, it's got, Ki- it's got King Ghidorah, it's got Godzilla, it's got Mothra. They make reference at some point to King Kong, but that who fucking cares about that? I don't I mean, care about a next, Godzilla versus Kong movie. That's it's coming. I don't. I, after watching Ghidorah and Godzilla fight, what the fuck is King Kong going to do? Is he going to just shit in his hand and throw it at Godzilla? Yeah, I don't really think... I don't really think they compare it to each other. Like, King Kong's cool and all, but... it Would King Kong stand a chance against King Ghidorah? No. Okay, well... <laughs> why, why do we have this as the follow-up? I'm very excited. It's very cool. I can't wait for this ape to literally throw shit at Godzilla. That's so cool. This movie is going to be so rad. The reason why I wanted to see this Godzilla movie was low-key because I watched that fucking stupid-ass anime adaptation. Yeah. But that shit was like, damn, I want to see like this, but done well. And it was done well, so I ain't mad at it. Hey. Or the live action movie was done well. Right, right. And I say, I use the term live action loosely. <laughs> right, it's all CG at this point, but, you know, it's there were actors in it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the next thing that I watched was the DC Universe original Swamp Ting. Swamp Ting. I'll try to keep this one short. The story doesn't really matter because it's a show and it's a season that's building up. But I do want to remark very quickly that it looks like they actually put some money behind this, to be honest. It doesn't look like somebody sweated this with with like what they could find in their house. So I don't know if it's Swede or Sweat. Uh, S-W-E-D-E. D. Sweated. Sweated. But basically... <laughs> Basically, what it means is with whatever you could find in your house, you you took your like cell phone camera and you filmed scenes from a movie or you tried to remake a movie or remake something with just household shit. Huh. I, I don't know where the term came I've from. I've never heard of this. But people started doing it. Yeah. But, okay. Yeah, but it doesn't look like shit like um like Titans did. Titans looked fucking awful. Ugh. It just in all honesty it looked awful. It was bad. But this looks like they actually spent money in the cameras, on the cameras, on the CG especially. The show opens up 
with these dudes in the swamp. And this, it's a series of scenes, or I guess it's a single scene. It's a scene that really outlines that they have money now. They're like, bitch, we got money now. Look at what we can do. And they do a lot of stuff with it. And it looks pretty good. Too bad DC universe still is a bad streaming platform, but you know what you live and you learn and you try to love. So, so, uh, here's a headline that I never thought I would read. Super Mario Maker 2 won't let you play online with friends. Uh, Did the first one allow you to play online with your friends? I don't... I don't think so. But one of the things that they showed off was that they had multiplayer. I, I think it's like simultaneous multiplayer all the um super mario 3d land where you know you've got or new super mario bros Wii, where you have multiple characters doing the same stage at the same time it's chaotic it's horrible but it's a lot of fun and they they showed that first and then they're like oh by the way you can't play with your friends so what does that mean they got they got online co-op but you can't play with friends well uh here's uh here's the first line of the article This is from Kotaku. Don't at me. Nintendo showed off Super Mario Maker 2's new four-player competitive and co-op online modes earlier this month, and the company has now confirmed that players will only be able to matchmake online with random people, not their friends. And then this was later confirmed and explained as, this is true, as the game is now, you cannot create friend lobbies online. You can only play online with randoms. You can still get friends together and play with local play, and you're free to play with four players on one Switch system, and you can still challenge your friends to, to your creation, take them, take on their designs, but you can't play online with your friends. Uh, they explain that this is for um, for the leaderboard sake so that you know people aren't like gaming the system or something i I don't exactly get why they're so concerned about it but um someone explained that you can simply turn off ranked rankings if you're doing online with friends like what the what's the big fucking play with your friends why (laughs) i i don't get it this is one of the biggest fuck-ups i've seen from nintendo in a while in terms of like fun factor i think personally that nintendo is probably one of the most popular companies that's run the worst that's it's so weird to me that they do shit like this but people just still love it they love all their shit it's so strange to me there are some serious Nintendo diehards, or as the 4chan would call them, Nintendrones. I, I don't get why Nintendo fucks up so much when it comes specifically to online play. Like, they've never really done a good job. I know part of the problem is that they're based out of Japan, and online gaming just works differently there. For one, their internet's better. Two, there's less of a culture with it. But... Holy shit. Just consult someone <laughs> from just any place else and uh, maybe they can get it right. Maybe. I don't know, man. I just, if they wanted to consult somebody else for any of the stuff that they were doing, they would have done so already. I think they have like that thing, that superiority complex that like it seems like they're high on their own shit. They're like, yo, we're so fucking tight. We're not going to do wrong. And even if we do fuck up, who cares? People love us. doesn't matter. Yeah, I don't. I don't fucking get it. But maybe they'll maybe they'll fix this because a lot of people have been really upset about, you know, like, yo, what the fuck? I just want to have friends. I would say I'm still looking forward to the game, but I never played the first Mario Maker and I don't have a switch. So that would be a lie. It should be fun based on reactions that I've heard from other people, but that's about it. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to go out on a train. Maybe this is another one of my weird opinions. Fuck Nintendo. Hmm. Hmm. 
yeah, yeah, I don't know how much I mean that, but it's, I'm so sick of Nintendo's like weird business practices. It's just so strange to me. It's just, it just doesn't make any sense at all to me how they do business. But I mean, they have IP that people love. And if we know anything, people just love having the same old shit shoved in their face over and over and over again. Oh, yeah. Or maybe the same paint with different mechanics. Oh. I don't know. It's Definitely. It's... And then Nintendo just re-releases that same shit. Oh, give me the same thing a fourth, fifth time, please. Where is the next Mega Man series? I just want to play the same games again. I wish they played it like Jay-Z played it. If you want my old shit, buy my old album. Yeah, but it doesn't work the same way with video games because you can still play, you know, albums from the 60s on Spotify and it's no problem, but you can't just fire up a SNES on your Switch. I mean, granted, there there are supported emulators, but you got to buy the same game again. And that's just doesn't hit the same. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, well. Sucks to be you, the fan. Haha, everyone sucks. Everyone loses here. Nobody wins. It's great. Hooray. It's great. Everything is terrible. Uh, the first one let's bring up it comes from uh, Aluminum Tubes. He says, following up on last week's parents' questions, my dad's a sports fan. I could see millennial him using advanced statistics to argue that Steph is a better than a MJ. My mom stands for John Grisham, so I guess 20-something her could have had an encyclopedic knowledge of some shitty superhero comic books where the status quo is restored each year. On to this week, what pop culture fandom entertains you the most? I discovered that kaiju fans are hilarious. My prep for the new Godzilla included slipping into a black hole of reading five-paragraph forum posts, complete with graphs and math, to tell the internet why the king of monsters would kick the shit out of Pacific Rim's Jaegers. I don't think that would even... That's not even up for debate. (laughs) Of course he would. Yeah, the Jaegers seem a little underpowered. Like, Godzilla would probably just... Probably just wreck them. But as for what fandoms are, are fun to watch, I have pretty extensive exposure to like the outskirts of Yaoi fandom. And that like, like that encompasses a lot. I guess the most recent one that I kept track of was Voltron, uh, but the Yaoi fandom within Voltron. And it's not out of like any sort of interest in the material itself. I just like watching the garbage fire of like ship wars and, People talking about like, well, you can't ship that guy. That that other one's underage. And someone else is like, yo, but they're both drawings, though. Like, let's be real. They're, they're not. They're not really 16 years old. They're however old that drawing is. And they're like, but that's not the point. Besides, you shouldn't be shipping John with Matt. You should be shipping Matt with Chris. Because they exchanged a glance one time and tell me that he wouldn't power fuck him. Right. And you know, it's just, it's, it is the dumbest. And they're so passionate about it and head cannons prevail overall. But, uh, I would never like actually do a deep dive into this because that is a look into the abyss and I am not ready to see what stares back at me. I hate most fandoms in all honesty. Like if you're, I don't, mm, damn, maybe, maybe this is my weird opinion, but if you're passionate about something enough to the point where you sit on a forum and talk about it, like constantly don't know if I can fuck with you. Um, so there's a difference between like going on the forum and talking about basketball or something that's like continuously updating. If you're like on a terrace house forum or a real world, assuming that's still running forum or anything that's continue like ongoing, I can understand that. But if you're, if you're talking about 
the seasons of Voltron still <laughs> or something that's not current still. Yeah. Like if you're talking about Game of Thrones seasons one through eight in like two or three years, I don't know if I can fuck with you. Yeah, nah. People get real fucking passionate about their fandoms. And like I get it, kind of, I guess, but when when people think that they're head cannons and you know just their own theories when they so vehemently and adamantly defend their positions and like will only accept their reality as the reality and that i that's bordering on some form of mental illness you know like you clearly have some other issues in your life that you need to work out if you can't accept that you know uh, Captain Picard did in fact retire at the end of the next generation or whatever, you know? And it, it, this isn't, you know, just Yowie fandoms. It's not just, you know, shippers or anything like that. It's, there's a lot, you know, I've seen a shitload of this with Game of Thrones where it's like, no, this has to be a joke. This was, this was them pulling their wool over our eyes, you know, whatever. And like, nah, it was just a bad series, season's end or series end. So, um, sucks, but. It's what you get. Fuck every fandom. Fuck them all. Masters of Scientology asks, since new jobs has been a recent topic, good job, Chet, what's your worst interview story? Mine was when an old guy CTO, definitely over 60, throughout the interview, berated his employees, constantly interrupted me, nitpick answers I gave over trivial details, and was generally disagreeable. Also, he would have been my direct boss. So, hard pass there. I never really had any bad, bad interview stories. My biggest things are like just getting strung along where going through multiple interviews, phone, in person, all that, getting positive response. And then just one day it's, eh, sorry, the position's closed or, eh, no, we found someone better. Sorry. Like that kind of shit. Yeah, I, it really sucks when you're asked to do things that are above and beyond what your scope is. Yeah. Actually, I did have one interview that went really poorly. Oh, you know what? Yes, yes, I do actually have a, a story uh, of an interview that went very badly. So a friend of mine hooked me up with an interview at the company Spiceworks in Texas, and I wasn't planning on moving out there or anything. But uh, he managed to get his old coworkers to look at my resume. They thought my resume was pretty decent, and they decided to call me. So they called me, and like five minutes into the call, the recruiter was like, oh, I'm sorry. I have to reschedule this call. Can we do this on Friday? So she reschedules it for Friday, and she doesn't call me back. She just misses the call on Friday. So I email her and I say like, hey, like it seems like we kind of missed each other on Friday. Did you still want to do this? And she was like, yeah, 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 of course. Yeah, let's reschedule for Tuesday of next week. And so Tuesday rolls around. She doesn't call me. And I'm like, well, it looks like I'm not going to get this job because they keep jerking me around. And so I shoot her an email and I say like, hey, look, uh, it doesn't look like we managed to get it work, get it to work this time. Maybe in the future, we can look at trying to do something or whatever. And I receive an email and she says, no, I'm sorry. Uh, there was, there's been a lot going on in the office or whatever. Let's reschedule this call in two weeks. So two weeks later, I don't get a call. I don't get an email. I don't get anything. But a week after that, I get an email saying that the woman who was interviewing me had quit. All right. <laughs> and, <tight. laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah dude so she quits and somebody else is supposed to pick up the ball where she left it and they literally push back the interview a month wow and they schedule they schedule it like a month away they call me a week before the interview is supposed to take place and i'm like they call me at fucking random they were like oh do you have time to do this interview right now we saw that you were interested in a position here. So we decided to reach out and I said, this is not a good time. Uh, 
Can we just do it next week? And they said, well, unfortunately, next week is look is when we're looking to close the position. And so they asked me a bunch of questions that were basically like things that I had no idea what the I, I didn't know what the fuck they were talking about. OK, I was like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, why are you asking me this stuff? And they were, as it turns out, interviewing me for a different high level position at the company. And I was like, what happened to this IT position? And they were like, oh, we filled that. And I was like, "Okay, thank you very much. This is this has been a great use of my time. Uh, I appreciate you. I don't fucking. (laughs) Yeah recruiters recruiters are weird that's another thing that i don't like is recruiters i really grass my no but basically i i hate that the people that get to see your resume first are people who don't understand your job necessarily like i get it i get the need for hr i get all that but like especially for upper level positions and stuff that's going to be you know very specialized you should at least have some training in terms of like how to speak the lingo of of the person not just like buzzwords that you know if if these terms aren't on your resume you don't get an interview but i mean like how to actually critique some work you know if it's an engineering job you should understand at least some bit of coding and like what reasonable expectations are for this position you know hr shouldn't be the only people filling out these requirements on like what someone should know based on you know some nebulous other posting that was made by some other company you know yeah i mean i have an inkling that hr i people don't understand how recruiting should work they should be going through the departments or whatever yeah um like if if we if we were to hire another animator at my agency i would want to be part of that process Cause I know what I'm looking for as part of my team and I'm like the leader of my specific team. So this really should go through me, but I have a feeling it wouldn't because they have, they have people in place for that. And that's great. Cause it, you know, keeps stuff off my plate, but also, uh, I want people that know what they're doing and that I can trust and that work in a certain way that I would be able to recognize that they might not. Oh, this is on topic. <laughs> Rella Rella just asked a question, and which is, have you ever had a manager or lead that was incapable of training people? Like, they depended on the new person already being able to do the job and blamed the need for instruction on the new person. Have you ever, guys, have you guys ever worked for a small business? In my experience, small businesses are the fucking worst. Fuck small businesses. Uh, yeah, I've had both uh, small businesses and bad managers. Uh, the place, the studio that I worked at for the longest time, which was my last full-time job, the the only other person in my very specific department was another animator who was 10 years my senior, and he was quite good. And I was pretty decent but I was very inexperienced. You know, this was my first job out of college in animation. And even my my schooling on like motion graphics was pretty limited. So I was effectively flying by the seat of my pants. And this dude was nothing short of an asshole. And I was afraid to ask him questions. I, w- I was nervous about making mistakes in front of him and he wouldn't correct them in a, uh, in an understanding manner. You know, if something totally new would come up, he would, he would teach me or show me where to learn. But if, if I didn't get it right the second time, he would get all huffy. He would get all passive aggressive. It was, it was just annoying for everyone involved. Like no one else in the office was mad except for him and happened every time. Really fucking annoying. I did have a job where the person didn't train me at all. There were people who were helpful at all of my jobs, except for this one. Basically the dude kept no documentation for anything that he did. 
and would expect me to write everything for him. And it was really shitty because if I didn't know something, he would more or less say, you need to figure it out. And he worked in the department for seven years before me and was the manager of the department when I stepped in. So it's it was baffling to me that he had the expectation, not of me having the technical know-how to do my job, but to divine like what IPs, what devices were on what IPs, what they were being used for, and why that mattered, and like all this kind of shit. He would ask me questions like, why did you do this that way? And I'd say like, dude, like that was the person who worked here before I worked here. And he'd be like, you need to fix it. And I'd say, well, how, how do I fix it? I don't know anything about this. Do you know anything about this? And he said, nope, you got to figure it out. It was really shitty. That's fucking It was annoying. an awful experience. That is, yeah. Now, eventually, it got to the point where all the old shit got swapped out eventually, and I knew what things were because I was the one who put them together. Ultimately, this guy fucking sucked, and it was difficult to work with him, but I eventually figured out how, just based on not talking to him about anything and just doing shit on my own, and if I fuck something up, then fucking that's it. That's it. I just fucked it up. Well, uh, on the small businesses front, I had a client when I was um, graduating from college, like right as I was finishing up, I had this client that was a, uh, it was a couple who worked in like making activity books for children. So, you know, like books that have puzzles and word searches and shit like that. And they also had this other like physical product that it's kind of hard to explain, but you know, they were reasonably successful small business owners. And this was the most annoying client I've ever worked with to this day. Cause I guess they didn't like trust my, my workflow or they just wanted to be more involved or something. Cause they would always have me come into their house because they didn't have like an office building or anything. They would come into their house and work there. And so they could, you know, like watch over my shoulder as I would do things. But as with a lot of work, you know, I can't just wave a magic wand and make magic happen. You know, like it would be a very long process, but they would sit there for hours and they would argue about shit. Just like, Oh, we want this logo to be bigger or, you know, Oh, we want this to be red instead of blue or whatever. And I would tell them, Oh, okay, well I can do that, but here's why I did it the way I did. And then wife would say, Oh, okay, well that makes sense. And then husband would be like, well, but we really like it if you would do it this way. And then wife would argue back with him saying like, no, but he says it's that way. And I'm like, okay, y'all need to figure out what you want. Either we can keep it the way it is, or we can change it, but figure it out and we can, we can make something happen. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, we, we want it like this. We want it like this. Okay, cool. Next page. Oh, could you change that one thing? No, no, no. It's fine the way it is. No, no, no. We really think it should be changed. And like, they would just go back and forth the whole fucking time. And if they just figured this stuff out before bringing me in, it would have saved them hundreds of dollars. But they just kept arguing with each other at all times. They also wanted to pay me just pittance. They wanted to pay me garbage. But um, I don't take that. I, uh, I know how to argue for my monies. So... Yeah, that was a uh, kind of awful. But I got a lot of money out of them, so you know, whatever. Fuck it. Was that the the couple that I had recommended to you? <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah. <laughs> I forgot nice. that was. I forgot it was you that got me that job. Yeah, that fucking sucks. Yep. And what's funny is I also ended up roping in a couple of my other friends as well, because like what they needed was reasonably difficult, so I couldn't just give it to you know, any old person, I actually, you know, needed to give it to someone who knew what they were doing. But, uh, yeah, I, I got some angry responses after they worked. Cause at first like, Oh sweet. Thanks for the for their work. And then, like two weeks, they'd be like, why did you send me to this client? Cause we needed someone good. I'm sorry. 
damn that yeah it sucks to be them yep <laughs> <laughs> i just didn't have any ability to illustrate at the time yeah no like, i still don't i can't draw for shit they needed a very wide breadth of skills and looking back i should have charged more but at the time it was the most money i'd made on any job so it you know it felt like a lot but whatever live and learn speaking of living and learning xx the x janitor xx hits us with a hot tip and that is you can get a bidet attachment off amazon for 30 bucks I've got one. I got one I've been using for four months now and used about one roll so far. Bidets are a good investment and easy to install. Spoken like a true janitor, keeping that ass clean. That's fucking dope. Damn, man. Yeah, I'm going to have to fuck around and get a bidet. Yeah, for 30 bucks. Shit, I'll do that. I don't even really like bidets, yeah, I, but pff, why not? Tight. Uh, thanks, everybody, for writing into this week's edition of Real Nerd Hours. I've been Denzel. I've been Chet. You can join us on the subreddit at reddit.com com slash r slash real nerd hours you can join the conversation on there you can support the show on patreon patreon.com slash real nerd hours which is the important one find the show's social media information on real nerd hours.com again support the show on patreon patreon.com slash real nerd hours thanks everybody for listening and we'll see you next thursday y'all have a good night